Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. might like to uh, open your Bibles if you still use them or there's Bibles up on the back shelf if you like, if you haven't got one. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to start which might sound a bit obscure for a Christmas message but hopefully it will make sense. Um, So Exodus chapter 3 you might also like to open, thanks Tom, uh, open version if you have that and all the scripture references will be playing around in there because I've made some changes since I listed that so uh, they'll all be there mostly. So... (laughs) Otherwise, you'll have to go home and do your own research. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, A few years ago, I think it was about seven years ago, actually, I conducted a wedding for uh, a couple called uh, Josh and Alicia. Now, I say Alicia because I had to practice that name because when I first introduced her and often I would talk to her because she was a teacher at Horsham Primary School and I would call her Alicia. And at some point between uh, being asked to conduct the ceremony and the time of the ceremony, I found out that her name is actually Alicia. There's an I before the A. So I had to change. Have you ever thought you knew someone's name and then you had to relearn their name? Do you know how hard that is to get out of your head? Why do I... I should try and find examples that I'm pretty confident everybody else will experience because sometimes I feel like I'm just way out on the front on my own here and I'm the only idiot in the world. Um, so I had to relearn her name. So Josh and Alicia, which I, I did and I practiced it and I checked it and I listened and I made sure I'm going to get this right because if you know me at all, you know that I like to get things right um, and if I get it wrong, particularly people's names, I will go home and I, I will internally just be so cross at myself forgetting people's names wrong. It's like, and I know I'll do it today, you watch, someone will come up to me whom I know, I use their names and just because we're talking about name, I will go blank. I guarantee you today, so if I forget your name, my apologies in advance and I'll go home and beat myself up on it. Um, and it comes to the time getting to announce Mr and Mrs Josh and Alicia Dossett. Now I had thought Alicia, 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 Alicia and it gets to announce announced Mr. and Mrs. John and Alicia and see I did it because his name is actually Josh and even then in my brain I've gone I've known this couple Josh and Alicia, Josh and Alicia, Josh and Alicia, Mr. and Mrs. John and Alicia Dossett and someone says Simon you called him John, I said no I said Josh, no you called him John, all right no worries this is Mr. and Mrs. John and Alicia Dossett at which the congregation roared um, in laughter and I said, here's the couple, go on, get out. <laughs> um, we, we know names are important, but I, I've got this, we've got this trouble as, as a family as well. Uh, our last name is Risson, R-I-S-S-O-N, and I just naturally go into this notion of spelling it because people cannot spell it. And people rarely can say it. We get called Risen, we get called Risen, we get called Reason, we get called Listen. 
And even if we spell it on the phone, we've rung up for phone orders and we've said risen and we've spelt it and we go and pick up our order and people say, no, no order here. And somehow between risen and the phone order, it gets to be listen and we work that out somehow. But we know how valuable names are important, how valuable names are, aren't we? We all know we like to be known by our name. If we've got a name, we'd like to be addressed by that name. If we have a nickname, there might be only a select few people who can actually call us by that name. Has anyone got a nickname only their family calls them? Yeah, a few people. I'm going to find out a few names now. No, no, I won't. So, um, because they're sacred kind of names. Names are important uh, in terms of addressing each other. They're the beginning of the relationship. But names don't always describe us either. Um, it's fascinating reading through the scriptures and you read a name given to a child because it was given in pain or because he came to life in anguish and you think, wow, that's a great name to be known by, isn't it? How cheery. Um, and, or, and so it's, names are important and valuable for what we want to do, but we need more when we want to describe people. See, when we describe people, we often look for characteristics or behaviours or attitudes and often they're determined by one or two brief experiences. And so what you see of me might be determined by one or two brief conversations in the big scheme of things. And so we can easily go away and make assumptions or um, have ideas about people's character or qualities based upon these conversations. And I want to suggest to you, perhaps we don't need even just one kind of experience, we actually need a collective memory to know people. Because I could tell you a little bit about Linda because I work with Linda, spent some time with Linda, kind of the last 17 years we've kind of grown up in life and in faith and in ministry together. So I could tell you a little bit about Linda, but there's others of you that would look at me and go, that's not how I know Linda, this is how I know Linda. And so when we describe people, there's a sense where we need a collective memory. Because one or two memories isn't really enough of a description to give us the fullness of a person. More recently, I think over the last five to ten years, we've been very good at um, trying to put people in boxes or labels. We, we give people kind of categories in which they fit our neat little systems and we feel better in being in relationship with them rather than simply seeing one another as human beings. Um, so it's a real challenge for us because I think when we put, define or box or label people, we actually miss out on the fullness of, person, of, of the person. And this, this is actually our struggle in our relationship with God. Our experiences, good, bad, indifferent and otherwise, often define the way that we view God. <laughs> And not even the experiences we have with God. We might have an, an experience of God through another person who calls himself a follower of Jesus. And so that becomes the lens or the label with which we view God and anticipate that God behaves or acts. And so people don't always represent God well. That becomes the way in which we uh, <clears throat> engage with God, connect with God, enter a relationship with God or experience God. Or we have one bad thing where something didn't, God didn't answer that prayer. That becomes a way in which I define God. 
You know, so all of a sudden, God isn't a God who answers prayer, or no, this didn't go right, or I didn't get that job that I wanted. Notice how it's often when God is dis- when we're disappointed with God, it's so much about me. <laughs> and actually, our language isn't that helpful either. And I say our language, meaning the English language. Now, some of you more cultural cultured people will be sitting here having a broader understanding of the language but I don't so much. Um, so we use this word God or Lord and it's kind of got this one dimension about it. That's, we just use God. You read scriptures, you read the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament as we have it in the English and we just read, not just read, but we see the word God. Three letters, God. That's it. Every now and then we might see um, the word in capital letters, Lord, as opposed to uh, capital L and all lowercase and the rest lowercase letters, we go, oh, I wonder what's happening there. Well, we hope to discover that a little bit today. But in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, the word for God, the Hebrew word for God is L, E-L, as we have it in our English language, followed by various descriptors of God. Now, I haven't got time or the expertise to be able to go into that. You can go, I found a website called um, uh, allaboutgod.com and if you just typed in names of God and you could go and understand that in the Hebrew Scriptures, when the Hebrews told their story, they would say El and then use uh, a word to describe God as healer, to describe a word of God as provider, to describe a a, a word as as God as um, um, victor or uh, the God of Israel. So, numerous different words for this one word that we put down to three little letters, God. And is it any wonder, particularly in our English Western church, that we struggle to fully encounter a living, life-changing, dramatic God? Because we don't read the text through the lens that the Hebrew people were reading it and understanding the various expressions of God. We read the text and go, oh, God. And then we read the text through our own experiences, through our own disappointments, through our own sadness, through our own frustration. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're not even sure why you're here. You just think that maybe you need to check something out about the church or maybe you want to discover something about Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here and going, yes, that's exactly how I feel. Who is this God that we use these three little words for? And it doesn't even make sense to me because I don't see this God as personal. I don't see this God as particularly dynamic or life-giving. So whether you're new or you're committed, my prayer over these few weeks is that we will encounter the living uh, presence of God in a very tangible way and encounter Him through the various names that we're going to be exploring. Josh is going to next week um, speak on Emmanuel uh, and the experience of what that looks like. Linda and, and Damien over the next couple of weeks are going to talk about the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jared's going to be talking uh, about Counselor and the Way and I'm going to, uh, I don't know if that's at the end, and I'm going to do another message on the Father as well. So various expressions. So here's why I wanted to start at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 14. And I, wanted, I know it's a lot of text, uh, but I wanted to give it context. It's important to understand where this comes from in the conversation. So Exodus chapter 3 Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. He'd been sent out, he'd run away from Egypt, he'd been wandering around, he goes to his father-in-law, he becomes a shepherd. Um, 
the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Uh, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, oh, I'll go over and I'll see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It sounds all very English, doesn't it? I don't know, sorry, just... You think you prepare messages and then you're standing up here and you go, man, that sounds weird. Uh, burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him to, from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. All right, so it's a really, I want you to understand this. Here's a really definite moment in Moses that he kind of fronts up and he says, you yeah, know, I'm here. I, I know. I, I'm engaged. I, I'm ready. Here I am. I know. Do you can you grasp that? You with me here? Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. At this stage, the people of Egypt had been in slavery for about 400 years. Okay? So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And I'm sure people who can speak Hebrew would be absolutely horrified at the way we pronounce them English. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Hang on, a minute ago you said, Here I am. And now you don't know who you are. Have you ever felt like that in the presence of God? Have you ever felt like that in those moments where you feel like, yep, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, whoa, no, I'm not. I don't know what's happening here. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you and this, shall, this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people of, out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Oh, well, thanks very much. You know, as I read this in English, the thing that came across to me was I read the sentence or the two words I am and I feel like it's an incorrect grammatical sentence. It's unfinished. I am. I am what? Moses, Moses, Moses. Simon, Simon, Simon. And to the rest of the world, take a breath. Take a breath. I just think it's a fascinating play on words and the conversation where one minute Moses is willing to say, here I am, and he moves to, who am I? And then Moses wants to know more exactly how he can communicate God, who God is, that he's been sent to the people of Israel. 
And God just says, I am who I am. Again, the English understandings of it. I hope this comes up all right. Uh, so when we read in our Old Testament, Hebrew Scriptures, as we have it in English, unless you're multi-bilingual and multilingual, you might have it in other languages, but I'd be interested to uh, hear it. But the Lord, in capital letters, is either W-H... Sorry, W... Oh, God. Those letters... Y-H-W-H, or it might be Y-H-V-H. Essentially, I am. So every time you see the capital Lord, here is God saying, or someone else addressing God and saying, you are the I am. To be, is, comes out of the, he, the Hebrew root word, to be. Now, as opposed to the uh, capital L with lowercase letters, which simply means one who is sovereign, strength or the power you understand the distinction there's a huge distinction there isn't there at, at one point it is simply i am like it's it's huge how do you comprehend that how do you grasp that and that's kind of the point you can't on the other hand you are sovereign you are strength you are power and this is where our English language is a bit obscure and not very helpful. In fact, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the word, and I actually, that Yahweh, I'm gonna, it's, it's wrong to actually say Yahweh because the Hebrew language doesn't have any vowels in it. So when we say Yahweh, we're adding vowels into it. It sounds, and I actually asked Google, how do you pronounce this word? And they went, Y-H-W-H. Well, thank you for your Hebrew knowledge. That's great. You can watch 15-minute videos on how to pronounce this word, if you like. But we, and even in our English language, we get it wrong. Um, but for this word, this word in the Hebrew Scriptures, the word for Yahweh, um, is said 6,800 times, which is more than three times the amount any other description of God is given. So this is a significant name of God, the I Am. They actually, the, the Jewish rabbis actually stopped using this word uh, about 200 years AD for fear of misusing the name of God, taking his name in vain. And the rabbis would use instead the word, the Hebrew word Adonai, which I'm probably still murdering, which again means my Lord, which still doesn't capture this great sense of the I am. And it's a little wonder we can answer the question that comes from children that says, where does God come from? <laughs> well, you go home and tell them, I am the one who sent you. See how that goes. So I just, just to help you understand a bit of the, the, um, the difference, I suppose. Uh, I know that the Lord, I know that the I am is great that our um, strength, our sovereignty, our power is greater than all the other gods. That should be just rattling your heads right now. And I, I just wanted to use these verses because I think it distinguishes 
our God, the living God, from all the other gods and how easily we can get wrapped up in things, especially at Christmas season, how easily we can get wrapped up in things and we miss out on the I am of life. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. And he finishes by saying, praise be to the I am from Zion. To him who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the I am. Praise the Yahweh. Now, I'm not terribly sure about the theology and I'm unable, and I haven't seen it in this last week or so when I've been preparing this message, so I'm unable to remember if I heard it or read it, but I imagine this word almost as a breath. Now, it might be underselling it, the name of God in that and the name of Yahweh I am. And I certainly don't want to reduce the holiness of the name except to say that God is amongst us. As close and as involved as our breath. The I am, the one who breathed and spoke into being and created through his breath. The I am. The I am who gives life, who gives breath, who gives creativity. The I am. The Yahweh. It's so holy and indescribable is this name of God, the I am, Yahweh. And yet, so deeply intimate and personal and invitational into a life-changing, transforming relationship. So jump ahead several hundred thousands of years and we're introduced to Jesus. A babe born of Mary and Joseph. And the crowds cry out, don't we know this man? Don't we know where he came from? Don't we know his parents? This is ludicrous. Where does his authority come from? Isn't he just the carpenter's son? See how labels and definitions and boxes so easily begin to define how we respond to people, how easily we even define and engage in our relationship with God. Don't we know this man? Aren't we able to capture him in our kind of experiences? No, you cannot. The I am. The I am. And in... uh, So we read in John chapter 6, John chapter 6 through to chapter 15, Jesus describes himself as the I am and he says these statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, the resurrection life, I am the way, the truth and the life, I am the vine. Now again in our English language we read I am and we go, oh yeah, Jesus is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd. Oh, great stories, that's beautiful. Isn't it so warm and fuzzy kind of thing? The religious leaders of this time, and this is where we need to understand and kind of dig a deep, bit deeper every now and then, the religious leaders of the time, you know why they were horrified? Because Jesus, they understood and they heard that Jesus exactly was saying, I am. Oh, He has just put himself in the same place as Yahweh. And not just once, 
six times. And he actually says on multiple occasions, I am God's son, I and the Father are one. Oh, you want controversy? There it is. Bang-o. It's no wonder, oh no, let me... And in fact, Jesus goes further and says, not only, don't pay attention to what only I say, don't merely believe me because of what I say, but in what I do. And then he makes this statement. In John chapter 8, verse 55, though you do not know him, which is, can you imagine going to church your whole life and having this new hotshot minister rocking up to you and you're talking about all things faith and biblical, and he looks you square in the eye, uh, sorry, the minister looks you square in the eye, he or she, uh, looks you square in the eye and says, you don't know who God is at all. This is what's happened here. These religious leaders have been trained up generations, trained up, called into the life and the ministry of the synagogue. <laughs> and Jesus looks at him and says, you don't know him. I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> Knife to the heart. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh. I, it's... Wow. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I mean, this was so powerful, so controversial. They were ready to just stone him to death for sacrilege, for blasphemy. Jesus declares himself in work and in word as the one whose name can be barely spoken. Now, the religious leaders were ready to pick up stones and just pulverise him. What are we going to do with his name? That's the question we have to ask. Because we can sit in this comfortable environment, an environment that's demanded a lot of sacrifice, a lot of heartache, a lot of resources, there's no doubt about that. But the question we have to ask ourselves, the same religious leaders had to ask, same as the followers of Jesus had to ask, what are we going to do with this name? Really? Because it's a name we can declare, it's a name we can pronounce, it's even a name that we might be able to breathe. But what are we going to do with this name? See, it's a reminder as Jesus comes amongst us that God is beyond our limits or beyond our understanding and yet it is also an invitation to remember the holiness of God, an invitation into worship that isn't simply in worship of someone we know about, but someone who has initiated, invited and desires relationship. And you could be sitting here for the first time, you could be sitting here for the thousandth time or however many more and still not be in relationship with Jesus. Because you fear the name of God is too holy. And yeah, it is. 
Because God will judge us for our behaviour. God will judge us for our mindset. God will judge us with what we do and how we respond to him. There is no doubt about that. And yet he is also the one of mercy and grace who removes all of that and leads us in a new life and invites and initiates relationship that is life-changing, transforming. See, being afraid to barely use the name of God was never the point. (laughs) And even as you read through Hebrew Scriptures... To avoid relationship and be so afraid of him was never the point. It has always been an invitation into a life-changing relationship with God. I am, says Jesus. I am what? I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the door. I'm the good shepherd. I am the, re- uh, the vine. I'm the way, the truth and the life. Which is, yes... But can I be so bold to even go a little bit further and maybe help but unpack a little bit further? No, I don't know. I just felt like these were important words again. You receive them as you will. I am everything you can imagine. I am everything you can describe, define and explain and I am more. I am the before and after, the beginning and the end, the everything in between, the source and the image of life. I am love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I am present. I am trustworthy. I am holy. I am generous. I am judge. I am also mercy. I am enough and I am more. The psalmist says, the Yahweh, the I am reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord, the Yahweh, the I Am is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, Yahweh, the I Am, for you have never forsaken those who seek you. Oh, that we would know that God. Oh, that we would know that God who has revealed himself fully through Jesus. Oh, that we would know the God that we don't need to be so afraid of him that we can't enter into a holy, intimate life with him. To know the God who judges us with fairness and with grace and mercy and for all the baggage that we might bring, all the uncleanliness we might bring, all the fear we might bring of what our past has looked like, all the things that we've said and done, the one who will look upon us with love and say, your sins are forgiven. This is the I am. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Redeemer and mighty God. His name is an invitation to know God more fully, not to describe him so we get him boxed in, 
So I have a sense that every time we think we know something else about God, we discover there's something else we don't know. <laughs> and you go through experiences and you, and you think, oh, that's, that's what God looks like. And then you go, oh, hang on. Oh, hang on. Oh, hang on. There's more. Oh, we could live like that. Expectant, open, willing, surrendered, surrendered to the I am. And we have to answer a simple question. Will we trust him? Will we trust him as we sing the songs with joy and will we trust him with all our questions and our hardships? Will we trust him when we think we're doing it well and will we trust him when we think we've made a mess of it or when we've caused pain or when others have caused pain to us? Will we trust the I am who is over and in all that? Will you trust him? Father, we want to thank you for who you are recognising that we don't know the fullness of who you are. Father, speaking to hearts and minds, even now, that you might awaken us to see you for who you are and more, that we might begin to encounter you in new ways, that we might, leave, as we, even as we leave this building, Father, there'd be a fresh revelation of who you are and that we'd have new sight, new insight, new revelation, a new hunger to know you deeper and richer and more alive and more awake than we have been when we walked in. That as we encounter and breathe, knowing that you have given us life, that we might breathe in the fullness of your love and experience the freedom of your hope and the knowledge that you are in all things and through all things. In the name of Jesus, amen.